Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters this week. All right. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church, coming to you remotely here from Cheyenne, Wyoming, the High Plains, as we are experiencing a bit of a late summer uh, in the 80s today, beautiful sunny day, uh, wonderful good stuff going on as they drill for oil all around us. All right, so we are ready to roll with Concord Matters today. I will remind our listeners that you can call in and field ask questions, and we'll hopefully have answers for you. Uh, you can call us uh, across the U.S. You can call 800-730-2727, or in the St. Louis area, you can call 314-821-0850. All right, with Concord Matters today, we have two guests, Pastor Andrew Preuss, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in St. Paul, and Gut- uh, or Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Welcome, Pastor Preuss. Thanks for having me. Good to have you with us again. And then another uh, regular guest that we have here, except he's usually here in my study with me, but today he's coming to us from Wheatland up the road about an hour, uh, Pastor Lincoln Winter of Trinity Lutheran Church of Wheatland, Wyoming. Welcome, Pastor Winter. Good to be here. All right. So uh, those of you who might be new to the show, we, this is the show where we just read through the Book of Concord and discuss the uh, paragraphs and the theology of the Lutherans. So here's uh, here's what we believe, teach, and confess. We do use uh, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House. Uh, speaking of good things, I just was teaching confirmation class this last weekend, and uh, the thing I use for confirmation class is a product called Teach These Things, uh, which is produced by Pastor Winter, actually, and he uses the large catechism to help pastors teach the small catechism. Uh, TeachTheseThings.wordpress.com com i believe right or is it .org pastor winter .com .com there we go so if you're listening you want to see a good uh, large catechism based curriculum for confirmation classes and so forth or if you just need to brush it up teach these things good resource all right last week they started out and they started talking about this thing called the invocation of the saints so when the apology of the augsburg confession that is the defense of the augsburg confession against the uh, Roman Catholic confutation that tried to point out this or that of why they rejected this or that or the other thing of the Augsburg Confession. So we're in the apology, that is the defense of the teachings of the Lutheran Church against the Roman Catholics. So, of course, you get into this article on the invocation of the saints, and, yep, you're going to have some real big differences between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics. Last week they left off uh, right around paragraph 16, so we'll start up there because it helps explain the, the paragraphs after that, um, in which it talks about saints becoming uh, atonement makers. So we want to avoid that as Lutherans, but uh, also explain what we mean when we say that. So here we go, paragraphs 16 through 18. I will read for us now, and we'll have some discussion on that. Therefore... We will show that the adversaries truly make the saints not just intercessors, but atonement makers, that is, mediators of redemption. Here we will not describe the abuses of the common people, 
We're still speaking about the opinions of the doctors. Regarding the rest, even the inexperienced can judge. In a person who makes atonement, two things are required. First, there should be a word of God from which we certainly know that God wants to pity and to listen and listen to those calling upon him through his atonement maker. There is such a promise about Christ. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. There is no such promise about the saints. Therefore, consciences cannot be completely confident that we are heard by the invocation of saints. This invocation, therefore, does not spring from faith. We also have the command to call upon Christ, Come to me, all who labor, Matthew 11. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, Isaiah 11. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the riches of the people, Psalm 45. May all kings fall down before him, Psalm 72. May prayer be made for him continually, Psalm 72. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father, John chapter 5. And finally, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father comfort your hearts and establish them. What commandment, what example can the adversaries produce from the scriptures about the invocation of the saints? Ah, right. Pastor Preuss, we see right away with this, the Lutherans are going to go back and they're going to say, listen, the scriptures don't teach this. For Lutherans, as listening on, that just makes perfect sense. But why wouldn't that make sense to a Roman Catholic? Well, because the Roman Catholic Church doesn't uh, believe that the scriptures alone are the authority for what we teach and confess. Um, okay, so, so, so what authority? What authorities do the Roman Catholics have then? Well, the, the way they would explain it is they have the Church, and uh, the way the way that they would understand that then is uh, when when Jesus says in John's Gospel uh, that the to his disciples that the Spirit will lead them in all truth. Um, that uh, that this is an this is an enduring promise to the Church that that uh that they will continue continue to be led in the truth and so what they would argue is that this uh you know this this custom this practice of of praying to saints is something that the holy spirit has led the church to realize as a benefit and therefore if you say that it's not in the scriptures that there's no specific command in the scriptures then that's really irrelevant to them since uh since the, the the authority for them is is really not just the scriptures, but the church as the church understands God's word, um, and they would say from the scriptures, but also from uh, from the guiding of the Holy Spirit through the life of the church. So, Pastor Winter, I mean, if this is the truth, right? That that, that they're they're trying to claim it's not the truth, but this is what their teachings are. Does that mean they can just kind of come up with teachings as they go along? Well, that's what they've done, right? So, I mean, so, so I mean, think it, so. I I saw a copy of the Baltimore Catechism once from 1948, and it said that uh, Mary died, just like any other person would. And in 1952, they said Mary didn't die. Uh, now that's a minor teaching, of course, uh, but it it really shows that the when. When you have this idea of, of unfolding or continuous revelation, that that's still going on, uh, that, that the doctrine can change really based on the whims of a single person. 
Uh, and yeah, I mean, this this sounds a lot like what we deal with up here in Wyoming, specifically the 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 Mormons. Uh, they have this kind of continuing revelation, right? Yeah, uh, it's the same basic principle. Uh, Rome is is more conservative in how often they they change their doctrine, uh, you, for the most part. But it's it's the same basic principle that. Uh, the the teaching can change, and then everyone just adapts to that new teaching. Pastor Preuss, what's this do to the individual? I mean, as as a as a Christian, as a pastor, you know, it's 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 important for me to have the same teachings. Uh, what does it do if these teachings are changing? Well, it certainly makes you uh, doubt the uh, certainty of your salvation if there's a there's a constant uh, influx of, uh, of new teachings, um, then you can't really have, you cannot ground your faith in anything certain. And this really is what happens with, uh, with the Roman Catholic individual. They, they're, I mean, this is more in the, in the area of, uh, of sin and individual justification um, and faith, but, uh, but it really does relate to this topic of, of uh, you know, the fact that they don't ground the, the, the invocation of the saints <clears throat> on any promise or command of God. Um, and so, so what, what happens if, if you talk to an individual Roman Catholic who knows his doctrine, you ask him, are you certain, are you, are you completely certain that you are saved and that you are in a state of grace and that you will, you will, be, you will go to heaven? And uh, they'll say something like, well, I, I'm pretty certain, but I can't be fully certain. And they would look at that even as arrogance to be fully certain, and and it's because they're they're uh, they're assuming that the certainty that you have is somehow in yourself, um, in the grace that uh, you've been cooperating with, and your ability to cooperate with God's grace in order to build up your righteousness. So it would really it would really play into this issue of the invocation of the saints as well, um, that uh, that they need they cannot have full certainty in God's promise. To them, um, because it's uh, it, you know they, they can't rely on the scriptures alone; they must rely on the church and the church's teaching, which is obviously always changing. Um, and so they end up, you know, relying on the merits of, of others and uh, besides Christ, and, and even on their own merits. And so, I mean, it's really just kind of a natural uh, consequence of of not grounding your doctrine in the scriptures and not grounding your faith in the commands and promises of God. Right, and you end up having to look to figureheads like the office of the Pope or something like that for your yeah. real, like, final answers on, on Christian doctrine, which means you're, you're putting your trust in a very fallible man, um, as, as recent news stories obviously are starting to show, um, which of course then your, your, your faith in that, man is then shaken, which in all honesty is a good thing, because your faith should be directed to Christ. Uh, yeah, not, not and you funny. should, and so you can say that too, even with like your your uh, certainty in yourself then, you know, when they're, they're assuming that certainty of faith is certainty in yourself, well then you could say, well, yeah, it's true, you shouldn't have, you can't have full certainty of your salvation if you're, if you're trusting in what's within you, if you're trusting within, in your own personal growth, in fact, you can't have any certainty. Um, but you can have full certainty if, if your faith is grounded in the promise of Christ who took away your sin. Yeah. 
Well, in fact, that, that's a question I believe in our in our suggested questions for the pastoral examination of catechumens prior to uh, communing. Is is you know, are you sure of your salvation? You know, can can you be certain of your forgiveness? Um, that that actually the Lutherans actually want people to know that yeah yeah I I, I am forgiven because of what Christ has done, and that's where my security and my confidence lies. Um, we're going to get to confidence here in a couple paragraphs, actually. Um, so so we have this, uh, Pastor Winter, this principle of this word of promise, that we have that yes of Christ, but but we don't have it of saints. And I think this still all just boils down to the fact that, well, Scripture doesn't talk about it, but since you're a Roman Catholic Church, you can come up with the stuff on your own as the quote-unquote church or the magisterium or whatever they want to call it, and uh, and then we can trust it then, right? I mean, that's what this all boils down to? Yeah. It's, it's just whichever authorities you're actually trusting. Right. And and the danger there, you know, to build on what Pastor Price was saying, that you that we want we want people to put their trust in Christ. But when people put their trust in other things, their own works and efforts, their own decisions, uh, the merits of the saints or uh, the Pope, and the magisterium, that when that lets you down, because it will, uh, be, if you associate that with church, you you say, well, the church let me down. Uh, the church can't let people down. I mean, the people in the church certainly can, uh, but the church itself is Christ's institution that brings Christ's word. And so the, the danger with that is people say, you know, well, I was a part of the church, but oh, that big scandal, and obviously the, the church is good for nothing. Uh, well, the people in the church are sinners, yeah, that's true. Uh, but when we put our confidence in Christ and not in, uh, not in people in this world, uh, uh, humans, uh, then Christ is, of course, true God and true man. Uh, but, but when we, we, we put our faith in sinners, that's the word I'm looking for, that, that that's going to be let down. And if, if that's what we associate with the church and with the word of God, then we're going to kind of attribute that letdown to God and to his word. And that's, that's the real danger. And a lot of people have been scandalized by recent events. And so I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, because, you know, the, the word of God clearly isn't doing what it says. Well, the word of God does what it says. It's the people, uh, that are saying no trust in me that, that didn't do what they said. Yeah, that's, that's a great point to make, and in fact, <clears throat> one that goes beyond just current events is that now for a long time people have been, well, the church hurt me, the church did this to me, or, or and and you're making a great point that, well, no, it's the, the sinners in the church that did these things, not not the church itself um, being the bride of Christ. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Anything you want to add to that, Pastor Preuss? Uh <clears throat> I, I, well, I suppose, you know, just to emphasize it more, that the, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, Pastor Winter is absolutely right, that this is how people usually think. And I think that this is just human nature, to think in this way of, uh, of the, the, the human organization. And, uh, and this, is why, this is why it really is an article of faith to believe in the one holy Christian, or Catholic, if you want to say it originally, um, an apostolic church. It's an article of faith. That means that we don't see it. Now, certainly you can recognize outward marks, uh, people gathering around the Word and the sacraments, um, people praying to God, 
Um, one of the, the other things, though, that Luther added in the marks of the Church, uh, and this is in his uh, his his writing uh, of the uh, on the on the, uh, the 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 Church and the Councils, <clears throat> or the Councils and the Church, is uh, is the the Holy Cross as his afflictions in this life, and and that really just hammers through all the more that the Church is not something that can be perceived by the eyes. It is that which is perceived only by faith in the promises of God, um, and as he will continue to, to, to speak about the, the merits of Christ. And so we don't rely on anyone else's merits, but those of Christ. And, uh, and so if we are, uh, which is what we do by nature, then, you know, we're going to fall. And, you know, we see this happen even in other estates, not even just the Church. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the most difficult challenges as a pastor, and I'm sure that you both can relate to this, is uh, trying to teach catechism um, when you have children who are not who are from broken homes or or dealing with just anyone who's from a who's who's from a home that doesn't have uh, a mom and a dad united together and working together, and the dad being the head of the home and the mom you know, respecting her husband and, and teaching them the faith. And uh, when you don't have that, it makes it very difficult then for, for, uh, for you to, to have that solid grounding uh, or to, to really to be able to trust that God's Word is really true. And so these, these issues, it's not like the, 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 the issue of the external church doesn't matter. It certainly does matter. I mean, Jesus says that it'd be better if a millstone were wrapped around your neck and thrown to the depths of the sea rather than cause one of these little ones to fall away. So there certainly is that outward scandal that is that is of great importance. But but what what Pastor Winter is saying there is is a great comfort to those who have have uh, experienced uh, abuse or neglect uh, from sinful men and even from wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, to know that to believe in the church, to believe in the flock, that the flock of Christ actually exists. Is an article of faith. It's faith in Christ's promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And once you get away from the faith and the promise, and you try to rely on the external human things, then you're uh, you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, <clears throat> which is a good reminder, and uh, a good thing to to remind ourselves of as we move on to paragraph 19 here. The second requirement for an atonement maker is that his merits are shown to make satisfaction for other people. They are divinely given to others, so that through them, just as by their own merits, other people may be regarded righteous. For example, when any friend pays a debt for a friend, the debtor is freed by the merit of another, as though it were by his own. So Christ's merits are given to us, so that when we believe in him, we may be regarded righteous by our confidence in Christ's merits, as though we had merits of our own. All right, I'm going to go right back to you, Pastor Preuss. Um <clears throat> What does this mean, this idea of uh, regarded righteous, uh, for those who are listening in? Well, it is, uh, you know, the thing about what he, the point he's making here is very important, that uh, th- this is not a naked word. Uh, this isn't an empty word. Um, this is a word that is based on something real when god when god declares you righteous he's not just pretending that you're righteous um he's not just giving you a feeling that you're righteous 
or some type of kind of existential awareness of some sort of righteousness that's that 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 uh that you can't really you know, you know stand on but he is placing before you the very merits of Jesus uh, the very righteousness, the very obedience of the Son of God who is righteous in your place. And based on this, he regards you as righteous. And so this is, you know, so, you know, you can say when someone says, we're not justified by works, or someone says, no, we are justified by works, you could say, well, yeah, I mean, we are, we're justified by the works of Christ. So God declares us righteous, his word is powerful, but his word is powerful um, in that it uh, sets before us what he has actually done. And this really gets to how God works. You know, we see this in creation. God says, let there be light, and then he makes light. You know, and, and, and he, he says, let us, make God in their, let us make man in our own image. And then he creates man out of the dust of the earth and, and breathes into his nostrils the spirit of life. So, so this is how he works in, in our justification, in our salvation, that he, he, he promises this to us. And this promise is is based on something that he actually did by sending his son into the flesh to take our place and be righteous in our place, so that when he sees us, he sees Christ. Yeah, yeah I mean, when you when you bring up that creation stuff, I mean, you not only have you know the six days of creation, and uh, you know taking Genesis for what it says, uh, which is what Christians do. Uh, but then you have uh, the idea, yeah, that, that he, he says it, it happens. He, he sees that it is good. You know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a regarding there even. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the calling things what they are, and that's what they're called, and all the wonderful things. But it, you know, shows how God in his word does these things. And, and you're right. Since the beginning, this is how God has done it, um, <clears throat> which is good. All right, we got a few minutes left. Let's try to get the next paragraph done here. From both of these, the promise and the giving of merits arises confidence in mercy. Such confidence in the divine promise and likewise in Christ's merits should be promoted when we pray. For we should be truly confident both that for Christ's sake we are heard and that by his merits we have a reconciled Father. Pastor Winter you know, he's he said these two things now make atonement makers. The 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 promise that is the promise that intercession, you know, is made and so forth, but then the promise that the merits of that person are given to you. Um they said from both of these arises confidence in mercy. Can you just in probably about a minute's time discuss this idea of confidence? And it's not arrogance, it's confidence. Sure. Uh yeah, we God has promised to save us in a certain way, and he's promised to come to us in a certain way, and that is through Jesus and his merits. Uh, and so it's a confidence. We, we know that that is where we can place our trust and that it will, be, uh, it will not be disappointed. Uh, if, we, if we trust in other things, it's not confidence in ourselves. It's, it's confidence in the promise of Christ to us. Uh, when we put that confidence in people, uh, we're absolutely bound to be left uh, disappointed. But when we put that confidence in our Lord and his promises, where he has promised to be to save us, uh, then we are not disappointed because God always fulfills his promises. 
And so our confidence is exactly we, we should put it where he has promised to be. Yeah, this is exactly right. And so this is what it's encouraging, even even through prayer, that uh, that this confidence in Christ's merit uh, should be promoted when we pray, that when we pray, we even are praying out of confidence in Christ's merit. That, of course, is why our prayers are heard in heaven, because of what Jesus has done. So we are just getting ready here for... Uh, the little break we have halfway through the show. So you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio. Going through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on the Invocation of the Saints, talking about atonement makers and so forth. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have about a three-minute break, and we'll be right back with it uh, after the break. Hi, this is Gary Duncan, the Executive Director of KFUO. You've heard me say many times that this is your radio station. As a supporter of KFUO, you have joined together with us in proclaiming Christ to the world. Join us for our Focus on Christ, Planning Our Future event on Saturday morning, October 6th at 10. You must register for this event, so call me at 314-996-1511 or email me at gduncan at kfuo.org. As we plan for our future, it would be a blessing for us to get your input and ideas. After all, as I said, this is your radio station. This event will be informative and enjoyable with door prizes, lunch, and time to fellowship. Again, mark your calendar for Saturday, October 6th at 10 a.m. and call me to register at 314-996-1511 or email gduncan at kfuo.org. That's gduncan at kfuo.org. Help us as we focus on Christ and plan our future. Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. You've faithfully given to the church all your life and believe the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod should be strengthened and preserved for your children, grandchildren, and the next generation. Go beyond the offering plate to make a lasting impact for the church. Start planning your legacy today. Call 800-325-7912 to speak with me, Teresa Nelson, gift planning counselor for the LCMS Foundation. Visit us at www.lcmsfoundation.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is perhaps the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar. It marks the end of a period of introspection and repentance. No work is performed, and most of the holiday is spent in prayer. A 25-hour fast begins at sunset on September 18th, ending at sundown on September 19th. And did you know, the final service includes the reading of the book of Jonah. It's read as a reminder of God's mercy. The Torah readings for the day are from Leviticus 16. This shall be to you a law for all time, to make atonement for the Israelites for all their sins once a year. Engage with the Bible in its influence in every sphere. 
Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. Uh, we are a call-in show, uh, so I'll give you those phone numbers first, 800-730-2727, St. Louis area, 314-821-0850. I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor, Our Savior Lutheran Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you from Cheyenne, Wyoming. My guest today, Pastor Andrew Preuss of Trinity in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul of McGregor, Iowa, and also Pastor Lincoln Winter of Trinity in Wheatland, Wyoming. And we were talking about atonement as we went into the break, and then, of course, we heard that advertisement for the Jewish celebration of Yom Kippur and the atonement and so forth. And, of course, you can't just understand the scriptures uh, about these things without understanding the message of Christ and him crucified, that he is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that changes all of these celebrations and so forth, that we do not need to make atonement for ourselves or observe it uh, in specific ways because we, of course, have God's word. His promise, which we receive by faith. And, of course, that's why Christians gather all the time for church on Sundays and so forth to hear that. So that's a wonderful, good thing. So we left off here in paragraph 21 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 21. So we will start out with this. Um, paragraph 21 through 23. Here the adversaries ask us first to invoke the saints although they have neither God's promise nor a command nor an example from Scripture. Yet they incite greater confidence in the saints' mercy than in Christ's mercy, although Christ asked us to come to him and not to the saints. Second, they apply the saints' merits just as Christ's merits to others. They ask us to trust in the saints' merits as though they, we were regarded righteous because of their merits, just as we are regarded righteous by Christ's merits. We are making none of this up. In indulgences, the adversaries say that they apply to the saints' merits. And Gabriel Beale, the interpreter of the canon of the Mass, confidently declares, according to the order instituted by God, we should betake ourselves to the aid of the saints in order that we may be saved by their merits and vows. These are Gabriel's words. Nevertheless, still more silly things are read here and there in the adversaries' books and sermons. What is this other than creating people who make atonement? If we must trust that we are saved by their merits, they are made completely equal to Christ. All right. So, Pastor Preuss, this is the argument, right? By by trusting them and, and saying that, you know, well, we pray to the saints and, and we're heard by the saints or the indulgences, especially where you see the, well, if you if you do this, you receive the merit of this saint and so forth. And you see this applied out for uh, different folks who like maybe have a, a brother or a sister who's a priest or a nun or something like that, and they're talking about, you know, well, they pray for me, so I'm, I'm okay, you know. I don't have to worry about this stuff. Uh, this is, again, as it says, you know, by if we trust that, we are saved by their merits. They are made completely equal to Christ, right? I mean, this is, this is pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and it's really sad too because uh, you know when when you have and I've had this happen where uh, I remember even when I was in um, in high school or middle school and I had these friends who weren't very they weren't very uh, uh, religious I guess you could use the word 
I think one of them went to was Catholic and would go to mass sometimes. The other one never went to church, and they would kind of uh, they'd kind of tease me for being, you know, uh, really you know going to church all the time and caring about about the word of God and stuff like that. And uh, one time they said, uh, you know, could you pray for us? But they kind of said it in sort of a kind of a jesting sort of way. They seemed maybe a little bit sincere. But it was just kind of interesting. I remember thinking, I remember saying to them, so saying to them, you know, if you trust in Jesus, then you can you can pray to Him yourself. You know, I mean, I'm happy to pray for people, but uh, but this idea that somehow someone else is going to sort of do the do the the believing for you, do the praying for you. You don't have to be pious because someone else will be pious for you. And I think that's what it, that's what it leads to. And so someone else. Uh, you know, becomes your your uh, uh, your Christian, um, and uh, sort of like having sort of like when you know Micah and the Danites and and and, and Judges seventeen and eighteen fight over this Levite, um, like he's supposed to just kind of be sort of their their charm of of, of piety, um, and uh, and and so so this is this is what happens then when you make someone else equal to Christ. That you show that you really have no idea why Christ came into the world. Um, that the Christ came into the world not merely to be a religious figure. He came into the world not merely to be someone who is just religious for you. Um, of course, he made satisfaction for our sins. He rendered his obedience in our place. But the purpose of this is that we might be his own and live under him and his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. So I think that the great irony here when they turn these people, these other saints, into basically being equal with Christ, that you can rely on their merits as much as you rely on Christ, it reveals something about what they think about Christ, and what they think about uh, what it means to be a Christian, um, that, that you can somehow just have, have someone else doing this for you. Um, and... Uh, you know, like, and this is a, a great warning for people, even whether they're Roman Catholic or Lutheran or whatever, that your your pious mother cannot believe for on your behalf. She can pray for you, but you're not going to go to heaven because of some tie that you have to some, you know, some association that you have with someone who is pious. Um, no, it's it's only faith in Christ who uh, who took away who alone took away your sin. Yeah, Pastor Winter, give some more comment on that. I mean, we, we run into this as pastors all the time, where you run into, you know, the the mother or the father is a is a devout member of the church, and they come and they regularly here, they help out, and they you know, participate in the in the life of the Christians in the church, and then the kids, you know, not so much. Every once in a while, they show up. Grandkids are just about gone if you see them at all. I mean, give some commentary about what what this is talking about. What Pastor Price just kind of introduced. Um, yeah, that's every pastor's seen that. Uh, I I kind of sometimes somewhat joke, but it, it's sad that at funerals, you know, a lot of times you'll see the the first generation in the front row, and they're following along with the service, and the second, uh, well, saying it from memory, really, the second generation in the next row or two is 
kind of, oh, yeah, I think I remember what a hymnal is. And then the third generation just sits there with their arms folded and a, a frown on their face. They're like, what is this thing that's happening? Uh, that the, the faith has been lost, uh, and, and it can happen so quickly. We, we need to be uh, very careful about that. And, um, you know, we, we, again, our trust is always in Christ, not in other people. Um, and, and that needs to be the, that's, that's really the, the, the absolute foundation of everything. And if you get that wrong, uh, it, it doesn't matter how, how pretty the buildings are. It doesn't matter uh, how fancy the outfits are uh, or how eloquent the speakers are. Um, you know, even back in the time of Israel, there were, there were a lot of false prophets who were very eloquent with their speech. And, and then you have Elijah, uh, who looks like a, a leftover hippie and wanders around condemning people. But he was the one who was true. Uh, and in, in church, we just heard a couple of readings about Elijah the last couple of weeks, and there's a, there's a great line where he's, because I mean, we think of him as this great hero of faith, and, uh, it certainly was, but there's a great line in this, uh, last Sunday's reading where the, the widow he's staying with, her son dies, and then Elijah brings him back to life. But part of his prayer is, you're gonna make everyone around me suffer too? Uh, it, it's very clear Elijah had a tough time of it, uh, but his, his confidence was where God promised to be in, in his word and he didn't go he didn't go chasing after other gods uh and and when we put our faith in other things and uh, even the saints uh, we're, we're putting our faith in in other gods uh and you know i was talking about this last week in bible class with someone uh that what happened in a lot of cases was the the church came in and said look now instead of worshiping whichever pagan god you have you have jesus and they went oh okay great but but we've got a female god too uh, how are we going to do that? And they're like, oh, well, we'll just give you Mary. See, just pray to Mary. And, and that's how, that's actually how the, the worship of Mary started. Uh, and the worship of the saints is just all these, they just kind of transferred all of these minor saints into, or minor gods into the saints. Uh, and and it, it's just paganism come into the church. There's no promise at all about it. Uh, it was a, a terrible accommodation that was done to, to please the pagans. Uh, that, that's not how it works. Uh, we yeah, go is, from God and His Word, not from what we want to be true. Isn't isn't that somewhat the story behind the Our Lady of Guadalupe or whatever that's so popular? Is that that was actually one of those occasions where they kind of canonized like a pagan deity or something like that? Uh, very likely, very likely, because you see that because in a lot of in different places uh, throughout throughout Europe, where where you had a strong paganism. Uh, you, you find different kind of emphases with regard to Mary, different sort of emphases with, with regard to the saints uh, as to kind of what they do and, and how one approaches them. And, and that all comes goes way back to the pagan roots. Uh, and that's just not how Scripture is. Uh, so, Scripture is so, opposed to that paganism. And, so this and is, this we, is truly, we utterly reject it. So this is truly the Roman part of Roman Catholic. I mean, this is, you know, in knowing world history... This is how the Romans uh, were so su were so successful in conquering areas. Uh, besides having the military that could do it, but they could also come in and just kind of absorb the culture and the local gods into their pantheon. And and of course, that's that's rather interesting that then we would inc incorporate that pantheism with the cult of the saints. Um, mm -hmm. Pastor Preuss, do you want to add anything to that? 
Yeah, it's just really, it's, it's, again, kind of going back to what I was saying before about how it's, it's really human nature to to rely on human organizations and human things. And what, what I find very interesting about the Roman Catholic Church is that they are very good at being mainstream and uh, and and kind of going with the flow of the piety of the people. And uh, this is, you know, when when we go through the the uh, uh, we're going through the minor prophets in, in Bible study. We've been doing that for the last oh year and a half or so. And uh, what I call the high places, you basically got three types of idolatry. You got the Baal worship. Um, and the other kind of specific idol worships like Moloch and, and, and the Ashtra. Um, but you also have, uh, you also have, um, then the, the calf, the two golden calves in northern Israel in Bethel and Dan. But then you have the high places. And the high places, I call those the popular piety of the people. And where they're, they're really just kind of the synchronized, uh, religious piety that kind of gets into the lives of the people, and it's sort of like, you know, uh, Laban's household god and Rachel sitting on top of them, and and all that. And so, so to get rid of this stuff is to is to attack very very sentimental things. And so, when you think of you know praying to the saints, I mean, it's a, we see this kind of natural piety, which is not a good piety, but it's a, it's it's sort of a natural piety in people. Uh, when they'll say something like, like say, say for example, a, 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 an athlete has a great a great game, and his his maybe his dad died or something. He said, "Oh, I know he's looking down on me, and he's helping me, and all this stuff." And you know, you have uh, you have this stuff in the popular culture, these notions, these spiritual notions that we see uh, that we don't need any help from the Roman Church to advance this kind of stuff, but you can see how the Roman Church is very good at taking this kind of superstition and Christianizing it and baptizing it um, with their own dogmas. And this is really what they've been doing over the last several hundred years. And so the, so I, I, I think that this is a big reason why the Roman Catholic Church to this day is able to remain, while while uh, on the conservative side of things, um, uh, you know, at least officially, um, they're nevertheless able to remain rather mainstream. Um, but we got, but the, the, you know, the Lutherans, you know, often Lutherans get uh, get kind of frustrated that they're not more mainstream, that they're not as cutting edge, uh, and uh, so we must be doing something wrong. It's like, well, maybe it's because we're not of this world, and that what we teach is against the grains of the culture. And it always has been and always will be. And we just need to be patient and continue to rely on Christ and not give in to the really essentially pagan ideas of people's religious opinions. Yeah, as, as the book of James reminds us, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Exactly. And, uh, so we want to uh, remind ourselves of that whenever we're tempted to just get a little more popular with the world around us and so forth. There's there's no shortage of those temptations in, per, in personal lives as well as in church life, uh, community lives, but then even in, you know, national church denominational living. Uh, if I temptation. may, just a second. Yes, absolutely, Pastor um, Winter. Yeah, Pastor Price, I was I was getting ready to say what you had said there about the, you know, the, the guy who says, oh, you know, I, I know my dad's watching, uh, 
and you'll you'll hear that a lot of times from people who who are not Roman Catholic and who utterly reject everything Roman, and they say, "Oh, you know, the saints. We don't pray to those. Oh, time to go to the cemetery and pray to Grandma." Yeah, I just like exactly. to tell her how I'm doing, and I know she's looking down on me. And there's just no promise in Scripture of that. Uh, all we have, we have a, a hint in Revelation at one point that the saints know the church is suffering and, and pray that God would end that for us. But we don't have any indication that they're aware of exactly what's going on day to day. And I like to think my grandma, who is my my link to, to the Lutheran church, and so I'm always grateful that she raised her daughter in the faith and uh, and my mom raised me in the faith. But I like to think she has better things to do standing around the throne of God and the Lamb then watch me drive to the store and, and pick out dinner. I, I just can't believe that that's, that's what her days in, in the presence of God are, are filled with. And that's really what people are, say, uh, are often saying, like, well, I know she's watching over me all the time. Why? You, you don't think there's mm-hmm. something better to do praising God in, in heaven and, and singing perhaps a te deum? Now, I, there, you can make an argument when you, do, you sing the Sanctus in in the divine service, a really good argument, that, that they're joining with us or we're joining with them, uh, because we have that in Scripture, that that's the song that's sung around the throne of God, and we say that with angels, archangels, all the company of heaven, we praise your glorious name. And so there, yes, we join in their song. Uh, but, yeah, this idea that they're watching our, our everyday stuff, and if, if we bury a statue upside down in our yard, we'll sell our house, what a what a bunch of ridiculousness. Those, the, the saints have better things to do. And I, I believe that they're offended, that part of their prayer is that the church would stop praying to them. The last thing I want when I'm gone is someone to pray to me. I want them to pray to Jesus, just like I do now. Uh, I mean, that's, as a pastor, my goal is to point to Jesus, not to me. I certainly don't want that when I'm gone. Yeah, I, I, I recall somebody once telling me that, you know, for someone who wanted to pray to Mary... Uh, wouldn't it be better to pray the way that Mary prayed to her son? You know, <laughs> just just you know, if you want to use Mary as an example, great. You know, all right. Well, she. Would have well, you'll prayed often hear to her son. You'll often hear this from uh, from uh, you know Roman Catholics who kind of know their stuff. Uh, what they'll often tell you is, we don't pray to the saints; we ask the saints to pray for us. Well, again, that's just kind of a semantic sophisticated uh, distinction that's not really there. I mean, to pray is to ask. And, right. uh, and so the issue then is not so, it's, it's not so much whether they know things about us here on earth. I mean, it, like, like Pastor Winter pointed out in Revelation, there's some indication of a, an awareness of their fellowship with us, you know, and that they know that we're still battling and, and they, and that they would, uh, that, that they would desire and ask God to, to uh, bring the consummation um, about as he has promised, but see that's the point is that this is the whole point that they're, that, that Melanchthon's making here in the apology is that we we rely on the promise and command of God and the merits of Christ because those are the things that are given to us in the scriptures. So I mean, if my if if my uh, uh, you know uh, loved ones who have who have died. Um, if they know that I'm still a Christian, well, great. That's, you know, that's a good thought. Maybe they know that I believe in Jesus and that I trust in Jesus. And that, I think that's a good thought. That's, that's fine. But, I mean, it's not so much about, like, all the things that they know. Um, they know God, you know? 
and uh, that's 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 the comfort that we should take, and that 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 this is this is who we should know, and we should know God, and we know Him through through His Son Jesus, and we don't know Him through anyone else. Yeah, I've actually heard what you're talking about, where somebody answered the question about the saints of, listen, you ask your friends to pray for you, right? You know, so therefore, you know, it's okay to ask, you know, the saints to pray for you too. And, uh, of course, like And that's you said, the point, though, is that it's not just that, I mean, they're not just asking the saints to pray for them. They're actually relying on the merits of the saints, and that's what makes right. it such a scandal. Which would be like asking your friend to pray for you and then not praying yourself, but relying upon the friend to... Exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah. Take you through it. Right. All right. Let's read paragraph twenty-four because it's connected to all of these uh, these silly things uh, that that were just referenced. Um, yeah. Where has this arrangement to which Gabriel refers when he says that we should resort to the aid of the saints been instituted by God? Let him produce an example or command from the scriptures. Perhaps they get this arrangement from the courts of kings, where friends must be used as intercessors. But if a king has appointed a certain inter intercessor, he will not want cases brought to him through others. So since Christ has been appointed intercessor and high priest, why do we seek others? And this, of course, I think is, is Pastor Price, you've kind of made this point a couple times, of the damage done to Christ, whether it's how you view him or whether you're trying to have... Uh, co-redeemers along with him, uh, atonement makers, as we, we had earlier in the earlier paragraphs, right? This is the, this is the real danger. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's right. Um, that, you know, you, you, well, what, what, what he's pointing out here, you know, is that you're, you know, perhaps he gets it from the arrangements of the courts of kings, where friends must be used as intercessors. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and this is, this is interesting because it kind of gets again to what we were talking about, about where they get their theology. They claim to get their theology from the church, uh, you know, whatever that is. Well, they're getting it from really, let's just face it, they're getting it from the world. They're getting it from worldly examples and worldly influences. And so you just like, you know, they, they, like you said, uh, they, they'll say to you, well, you'll ask your friend to pray for you. It's like, yeah, but we don't base our, our theology on, on those, the circumstances and our own, our own experiences. You know, we, we base it on God's word, God's promises, God's command, God's work, what he has done. And so, I mean, this is, again, you can make, you can make arguments, um, from, you know, from, from worldly examples. Uh, and, and you can make it all make sense. I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church is very good at showing how all their dogma kind of goes together. And they're very, you know, that they're, they're very smart guys. They know how to, they, their magist, their, their, uh, magisterium is, is, uh, filled with very bright men. And yet, that doesn't really matter because the foolishness of God, it puts to shame the wisdom of the world. I and mean, we, we, we rely on the word of the scriptures and, and that's it. Yeah, this is this is good because of course, what kind of beliefs are going to come from the world, Christian ones or not? And of course, the answer to that is very plain: not Christian ones. So, uh, this is this is what it boils down to, and this is why we began this hour talking about authorities. Pastor Winter, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, if you want to just give a comment on any of this uh, as kind of a parting shot, so to speak, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was hoping we'd get to paragraph 25. 
where where they have the formula for absolution. I guess next week they'll do that. But yeah, again, and I know I'm broken record on this, but uh, we're we're called to be broken records. It's Jesus. It's His merits. How, how is that unclear? Where in Scripture do you get any hint that we're saved by our work uh, and uh, human works? That that the the works of the saints are are the works of sinners. The idea that saints can be so perfect that they make up for all their sins and have extra merit to share with others. A single word from Christ that would explain that that supports that view. There isn't one, because of course it, it's just all made up. It. it it tickles our fancy. It makes us, it, you know, it, it goes where we want to go. The idea, I mean, if the saints can be so holy, if we work hard, we can be that holy too, right? Then our works can mean something. Luther says in the large catechism that our own works are the greatest idolatry. And, and it all comes from that desire to have our works mean something. We want that so desperately. Uh, but we, we have to give up on that and plead only Christ merits we cannot stand on our own and that's that's not what we want to do and so the uh, we still struggle with that uh, in our own church in in many ways not with usually praying to saints uh, but that's that's an area where we say no we're not going to do this because there's no promise from god we're going to stick with god's promises because if god didn't give us a promise we don't know whose promise it is. We got we, we actually have a pretty good idea whose promise it is. It's our own sinful nature. It's Satan. That's not where we want to be. We want to be on Jesus, always and only. Exactly. And we came full circle there because that was the large catechism on the first commandment, which was the uh, lesson I taught on Sunday to my confirmands uh, from Teach These Things, uh, Pastor Winter's confirmation curriculum, uh, that idolatry, the greatest idolatry, is our works. But this is, of course, why the Lutherans have their confessions. We take what Scripture says, we confess it before the world clearly, and we, we kind of declare these things to be an error, like the invocation of the saints, and then, of course, properly confess that, no, our salvation is by faith in Christ alone and His merit, and, and based upon the, what the Word of God actually teaches, and that is the authority that Lutherans have is the Word. Uh, we don't bring any other stuff in. So you've been listening to Concord Matters. I want to thank both of our guests uh, today, and uh, we'll be back with you next week. Go to church this Sunday.